is good to see everyone. And uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses to you from the Holy Word of God. I'm in Philippians, the first chapter, it's to the Apostle Paul as he addresses the Church of Philippi. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, to all the saints, to all the holy ones, to all the ones that because of the finished work of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's why I like to address you all when we open up as saints. And uh, what you need to realize is that's a position. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> you, need to, you need to realize that is a position. And uh, can I share something with you? With that position comes authority. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, when the judge walks in the courtroom because of his position, everybody stands. Amen? When the president of the United States walks in the room, everybody stands because of the position that carries authority. So you, when, I, when, when God addresses you and I, and I share with you in the, on a Sunday morning, good morning, saints, I'm addressing you as the position that you have in the kingdom of God because of the finished work of Jesus. Amen. Not something, matter of fact, if you listen to what he goes on to say to you, he says, grace to you. Grace to you. Grace to you. What? What do we say grace is? Supernatural gift of God. Favor. Ability and favor. I like, I like, I don't leave out ability. You know why I don't? Because you need ability in a fight. <laughs> Amen. Yes. You go, you're in a fight, you need some ability. Oh, yes. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna carry out the assignment that God has for you. You need some ability. Not just your human ability, but you need spiritual ability. You need supernatural ability. Don't forget that. So I shared that with you so that our response can be as we get ready to open in worship, we can, as it says in Psalms, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. Why, why, why should we respond with a blessing this morning? Because we have a position in Christ. Yes. Woo! That's powerful. That's mighty. You need to be able to receive that and understand that. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of situations, guess what? You have a position in him. And you don't have to come down from that. You know why? Because you didn't get it. You, didn't, you weren't the creator of it. You, just, you and I are just the recipient. Mm. Yes. Amen? So you can bless the Lord. That's Psalm 104. You know what Psalm 105 says? So we start out, oh, give thanks to the Lord. So not only this morning should we open our mouths and bless Him, but we should thank Him. Amen? Give thanks unto the Lord. Listen to what it says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Has He blessed you? 
Has he redeemed you? Amen. Listen to what it says in Psalms 106. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good. When the last time you said, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for your mercy. As I close, let me tell you why I believe God's just been dealing with me this week. He says, he says, always give thanks. Whatever the circumstance is, always give thanks. Now, right away, it might not change your circumstances, giving a thanks. But you know what it'll do? It'll give you a proper perspective. When we get the right perspective, guess what will happen? Circumstances will change. Amen? So this morning, let us bless the Lord. This morning, let us give thanks. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. Woo! We thank you right now. And we bless your holy name as we worship and we praise today. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We serve an awesome God. Amen. Amen. He is good and his mercy endureth forever. Hallelujah. Sing again today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes, we worship Jesus. Come on, put your hands together.
so good, so good, so good. Yes, you are, yes, you are, yes, you are. Hallelujah. Cause you are good all the time, all the time. You are good, you are good all the time, all the time. You are good, you are good all the time, all the time. You are good, you are good all the time, all the time. You are good. Now lift your voice and give him praise today. Oh, you are good, Lord. We magnify your name today, Jesus. Oh, we sing of your goodness. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. People from every nation, people from every nation and tongue, from generation to generation, we worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We worship you for who you are. Oh, yes, we worship. We worship you. Come on, lift your hands. We worship you. Hallelujah. 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 We worship you for who you are. Oh, yes. One more time. We worship. We worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship you for who you proclaim does something for us and that is okay we have a responsibility to respond when the Lord does something for us but are you going to have the same response every moment when you think about who he is and not what he can do for you I believe God has proven himself time and time again that he is faithful he has proven it to us over and over and over again so who is God to you Yes, He's healed you. He's provided for you. But who is He for you? He is our Creator. He is our Deliverer. He is our Savior. He is everything that we need. We cannot live without His presence. So let's give Him all the glory. 
and all the praise today. Let's lift our voice and say, Lord, we worship you because of who you are. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Sing it with me. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Yes. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Nisi, Lord, you Jehovah Shalom, yes, you're my Prince of Peace, and I worship you because of who you are, because, because of who you are, I give you glory, because of who you are, I give Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Come on now. Jehovah Jireh, yes, my provider. Jehovah Nisi, Lord, you reign in victory. Jehovah Shalom, you're my Prince of Peace. And I worship you because of who you are. Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, has he provided my provider? Jehovah Nisi, yes, Lord, you reign in victory. Jehovah Shalom, you're my Prince of Peace. And I worship you because of who you are. One more time, because, because of who you are. of who you are I give you praise 
because of who you are I will lift my voice and say Lord I worship you because of who you are Lord I worship you because of who you are Lord I worship Lord I worship you because of who you are hallelujah hallelujah you are the
Chris, come up here, please, and uh, help me today. We're going to ask you today that you would ask the Lord to show you that in Holy Communion, it's a high expression of love. It's, it's telling the Lord that you love Him. It's not about him telling you how bad you are. It's about you telling him how wonderful he is. Father, we hereby commit these elements from a common use to a holy use. And I pray you'd give us greater revelation. That in this act, we are sharing intimate fellowship, koinonia, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And give us greater revelation, Lord, of what it means to you. This high expression, this holy expression of thank you is viewed by heaven. So today we enter into this with grateful humility, God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and mercy towards us. We celebrate your goodness. Thank you. May we be not only receivers, but carriers of that love. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, i 
Take joy, my King. 
restoration for him and Miss Linda Harris continue to pray for her healing Connie Connie Carey and her healing pastor sent us an email the other day on his nephew uh, Daniel and we prayed for him and uh, just saw God do a work quickly in his situation Daniel Franklin 
as uh, we I share with you, we can you can have an opportunity for us to touch and agree with you this morning. By, if you have a prayer need, we can touch and agree with you this morning. Anyone have a need that we can? We got Casey in the back. Saints, so y'all look around. Casey, y'all can. We got Chris and uh, Katie back there.
supplication be a sweet aroma and a fragrance unto you today. May you continue to remind us of how you love us. In Jesus' name. Thank you, praise team. Aren't we blessed in this church to have some real servants of the Lord? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, a mature group of saints that love one another. I've heard this for a long time when you, there's, there's love here, the love of God. Love of God's here, Phil. Love of God's here. And we praise the Lord for that. It's, uh, it's not a show, it's real simple. We praise the Lord for His love and grace. And, it, and it's a blessing that we have such uh, called out and gifted people. Uh, we, I told you a few weeks ago, you know, Pastor Wayne's written probably three books. Hold on a minute there, uh, Mike. You got something on the screen. I want you to show, I want to show you something that, Mike Tribble just came out with this book, uh, The Christian Bigot. And what it is, is not a uh, declaration that Christians are bigots, but it is a defense, uh, a defense, if you will, a biblical defense of some of the arguments that are used against Christianity in our culture. And uh, Mike has had this on his mind and heart for many years. You can go to Amazon and get this, Dean and I have. And uh, if you have any issue with that, you can ask Mike. Mike, we're uh, appreciative that you have gotten this done. And we pray that the Lord will bless it and uh, use it. It's a good, strong uh, defense of Christianity in this uh culture of, of opposition. We uh, have been blessed uh, by uh, Emmanuel's messages these last two weeks. Amen. <clears throat> he and Kenya are incredible blessings, very faithful, and as you know, our full-time counseling ministry, she in private practice uh, with Grayson and Associates, and he with Manuel Marsh Ministries, and uh, we've got a, a good treat in store for us today as he brings this concluding uh, message. If you didn't get hold of the first two sessions on uh, uh, grace and truth and time, and then last week on repentance and confession and forgiveness, powerful, I'm learning, and uh, he has a great message for us today. <coughs> I want to thank you for your prayers for our church. We have many who are fighting illness, and uh, as you can <coughs> probably uh, see, uh, we had a little fight with that uh, this week ourselves. But, um, <coughs> one sec. <coughs> <coughs> I'm very sorry about that. I'm not sick. Maybe just some uh, residual. Thank you. 
tell you about a little experience this week. On Wednesday, uh, and this is to thank you for your prayers, uh, I was hit pretty hard with right around a 105 fever. And um, I was not feeling very well. <laughs> and I say this to just encourage a little bit because of stuff. Um, the first thing that I did uh, was pray. Amen. I asked the Lord uh, to help me to break the grip of infection, inflammation in the body. Second thing I did was take appropriate medication. Medicine is light, it's not darkness. But I want to recommend something to you. Um, I learned this a few years ago. One of the things that you might find helpful is to ask when you take medication, bless and sanctify that medication with prayer. The word says, let all things that you take into your body be blessed and sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So give the Lord thanks for that medication and ask that it be set apart, sanctified, for a special purpose. Ask the Holy Spirit who lives in you as a believer to place His supernatural anointing, His power on that medication. Ask Him to use that medication for His, that He would activate that medication for its purpose. So now you've got the Holy Spirit at work to apply the benefits of healing in your body, and now you have uh, the setting aside of a natural substance, God-given, uh, with supernatural power in the Holy Spirit. And then do your part. Don't be an idiot. That's Third Franklinians chapter 2, verse 1. <laughs> rest. Right, Jerry. Rest. Eat the right foods. Drink the right liquids. All that is is cooperating with your healer. And it's walking in, in wisdom. So remember, pray. Take appropriate medications and don't be an idiot. And see, uh, uh, the Lord will bless that. But I do want to give you a testimony that the Lord broke the power of that fever off of me that night. And Dina uh, had some symptoms as well. The Lord broke her fever. And the Lord restored us back into ministry by the next day. And uh, we give the Lord thanksgiving and praise for that. And that's not a yay us. That's just trying to tell you that something might help you if, as you walk through this fallen world that's got all kind of germs and viruses in it. Amen? 
Amen. Well, come on up here, uh, Emmanuel. Let's stretch out our hand now. Have a prayer for him. Pastor Jeremiah, come on up here and pray the anointing on this man while he, while he ministers to us. Thanks, y'all. <coughs> Stretch your hand towards Emmanuel. Father, we thank you for uh, an eternity past. Uh, you had already called his brother out, placed him in his mother's womb, gifted him, anointed him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we ask you to fill him, empower him. The word will go forth with clarity, anointing, and power. And we thank you for this today. We thank you for the gifting that you placed him. And you placed him in this local body, in this local fellowship. Hallelujah, his family. We thank you, God. We praise you. We give you thanks today for your servant. You will fill him with your power, your anointing. He will proclaim truth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'm ready to run through a brick wall now. <laughs> well, let's pick up with our, uh, our launching point verse, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Do a brief review. Pastor already mentioned the first week we talked about grace, truth, and time, which creates the conditions for healing, for growth, for change. Without grace, truth, and time, we just don't feel safe enough to step out there and change and grow. And last week, we looked at confession, forgiveness, and repentance, which help us move forward toward maturity. You can't be a mature believer, a mature person, if you're not willing to forgive, if you're not willing to confess your faults, your flaws, your weaknesses. Amen. If you're not willing to repent, to change course, to turn around. And today, this morning, we're going to look at suffering, grief, and community. And all these things help us process pain process pain. And I know it sounds like, oh man, it's going to be heavy. And I, I promise I'm not going to make it heavy. I know you start suffering, grief. It's going to be a long day. Uh, um, I will say that my family is probably glad to be done with this series because they've been suffering with me for the last three weeks. And uh, it's how we process pain, suffering, grief, community. 
Now, suffering and grief are the unavoidable parts of life. Um, there's no way around it. In this world, you will have trouble. And Paul writes that all of creation groans under this weight of sin and death, and they're waiting for the redemption. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. There's just no way around suffering and grief. One of my uh, daughters, uh, she has a storybook Bible, and this is how it describes uh, the situation. It says that because of Adam's one sin, sin and all its messes came into the world for everyone. Life would be hard for them from then on. The ground would be hard. Work would be hard. Marriage would be hard. Having babies would be hard. And death would be really hard. What a rotten day. The second worst day in the history of the world. And the first day wasn't when uh, Saban retired either. It was, they're referring to the, the crucifixion, just in case you. But that's where we are. Everything is harder in this world because we live in a fallen world and things aren't as they should be. And we're waiting for the redemption, the restoration of all creation. But until that time, there's going to be suffering. Let's look at suffering. Suffering is the pain and hardship that we deal with because we live in a fallen world. Sickness, disease, a lot of people out today. About half the people I know over the last three weeks have had COVID or RSV or pneumonia or the flu. You know, there's death, there's war, poverty, abuse, any kind of brokenness or anything you can think of. The world is filled with suffering. Some people in here have served in war, um, been in combat. They've seen some of the worst suffering that they could ever be witnessed by a human. And then there's suffering that's part of the Christian life. When you come to Christ, you have been drafted into a war between good and evil. You have been drafted onto to God's army, and now you have an enemy. Now, you already had an enemy. Satan, he lives to steal, kill, and destroy, but now he really wants to get you because Satan hates what God loves. Everything that God loves, Satan hates. And so suffering is to be expected if you're going to be a Christian. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. It's like, it's not something strange. It's, you should be expecting this. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But Peter says it shouldn't be a shock to you when something goes on. Christians suffer because we share in the sufferings of Jesus. But not only that, we also suffer as a consequence of our own actions. That's probably where most of my suffering comes from. I just, I just can't get right. 
And if you are a person who likes to learn things the hard way and who is stubborn and hard-headed, you're going to suffer. And so sometimes we make bad decisions and we suffer for the decisions we make. But there's also suffering that we choose as a way to change, to grow, to heal, and that is voluntary suffering. When we, we say, I'm going to do a hard thing because I know in the long run it will be good for me. Uh, sitting here look, looking at Buzz over here. He's been in the military. He's a lawyer. Man likes hard things. I was a freshman, uh, and he got married, too. Hallelujah. <laughs> I thought about becoming a lawyer. Some of my professors were saying, hey, you, you ever thought about law? You're really good in class. And, really... and uh, I had friends who were pre-law, and they'd come in with these books. It was like case studies. and I'm not, I wasn't willing to suffer that much. <laughs> Like, I am not that dedicated, not that disciplined. I thought about doing computer science. I thought about being an architect. I took math, and I, was, I wasn't willing to do it. And, and so I chose psychology because it had the less math, and it felt like the path of least resistance. It was the easiest major of something that I was interested in. But there's suffering that we choose. Taking on a new challenge, learning a new task, learning a new skill, repairing a broken relationship, furthering our education, choosing to enter rehab, going to counseling, diet and exercise. Those things, all, all of those fall under suffering. It's painful on the front end, but it's beneficial on the back end. It's suffering we choose. In their book, How People Grow, Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend, they differentiate what they call good pain and bad pain. This is what they say about good pain. He says, we all have coping mechanisms that cover up pain. They help us deal with fear, enable us to cope with relational inabilities, they help us hold it all together. Trials and suffering push those mechanisms past the breaking point so we find out where we need to grow. Then true spiritual growth begins at deeper levels and we're healed. Righteousness and character take the place of coping. That's good pain. It pushes us toward growth. Bad pain is the pain we go through when we're trying to avoid good pain that comes from pushing through. It is the wasted pain we encounter as we try to avoid grief and true hurt that needs to be worked through. See, bad pain is wasted pain. How many of you have tried to avoid pain? I, mean, I don't want to study for that test. I don't want to work on this relationship. I don't want to feel sad, so I'm going to eat a can of Pringles or whatever your stress reliever of choice is. That's bad pain. It's wasted. 
you just feel bad and you just you don't you don't really fix anything you don't solve anything you don't grow they give this great example of uh, these metaphors of good pain and bad pain they said what if you were in a dark alleyway and a man in a mask came and he took a knife and cut you and took all your money he said that that would feel like bad pain but what if you were in a brightly lit operation room, and a man in a mask took a knife and cut you open, took all your money. That's good pain. See, one produces growth and healing, and the other one just leaves you there broken bleeding. Bad pain is wasted pain. So how, how, can, how does suffering help us grow? How does suffering help us grow? We've got a few reasons. The first one is that suffering teaches and trains us to be Christ-like. Look at 1 Peter 4.1. I didn't have any room to print out these verses on the handouts. 1 Peter 4.1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourself with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The NIV says, whoever has suffered in the flesh is finished with sin. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. There's something about suffering that if we let it, can help us grow. He who suffered in the flesh is finished with sin makes us more Christ-like. Romans 5, verse 3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. See, good, good pain, good suffering is productive, but it's not automatic. We have to choose our attitude towards suffering. If you try to avoid it, well, you don't develop endurance. I used to run a little bit, um, never a long distance. I probably got up to where I could run about five miles. But at first, I started off, I couldn't even run a mile. Then I worked up to two miles. Then I got up to three miles. Now I get winded just going up some steps. But, <laughs> but I've developed endurance. That suffering of feeling that pain of running and the, you know, that, that, it, that, that ache in your side when you run to endurance, you don't get that without pushing through. Character, what you're really made of. It's a good suffering produces things in us when we let it. But suffering can also make us more receptive to repentance. Like Psalms 119.71, David wrote, It is good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I suffered, that I might learn your statutes. See, suffering teaches us the will of God. It teaches what obedience looks like. Uh, Hebrews 5 says, Although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. And it doesn't mean that you know, that Jesus was out doing all kind of wrong things and he had to get, you know, smacked back in the line. 
What it's saying is that he learned what it really costs to obey God by suffering. Because he never did anything wrong, but he was tempted in every way as we are. In the book of Job, Job is visited by friends and uh, he gets to, there's three friends at first and they're giving him all types of bad, bad counsel, bad comfort, no comfort at all really, bad advice. And they're just trying to point out all the sin. And, you know, you, you had to have done something. You know, God, and he's like, I hadn't done anything. I don't. The theology was off. They weren't really good at being uh, comforters. But then this fourth guy shows up. Eli, Eli, Elihu is his name. Elihu. And he says, you know, I, didn't, I would have said something earlier, but I'm, I was the youngest, so I thought I'd let these guys say what they were going to say. And he's the youngest, but he's the wisest of all of them. And he offers Job some truth about who God is and who Job is. And this is what he says in uh, verse 30, uh, chapter 36, verse 15. He says, speaking of God, he, del he delivers the afflicted by their affliction. I say, what? He delivers the afflicted by their affliction. See, sometimes our suffering is actually delivering us from something far worse. We may, we may not see it then, but he delivers the afflicted by their affliction and he opens their ear by adversity. He opens their ear by adversity. There's something about suffering that if we allow it to, it makes us more receptive to what God is saying more receptive to learn something new, to try something different. One of the things that you, if you ever read the Old Testament, one of the problems with Israel that they were struggling with was the, the Bible said that they, they, were, they had ears, but they really weren't listening. They were tuning God out. Like they knew the commandments, but they really weren't listening. But every time they'd go through adversity, Eventually, they, what, they returned to the Lord. And then this, this, this cycle just kept repeating and repeating and repeating. There's something about adversity that makes us willing to listen eventually if, if you're not as hard-headed as, as I am. He opens their ear by adversity. See, suffering produces Christ-like character and makes us receptive to hear God's truth. That's good pain. Not only that, but suffering tests us and purifies our faith. James 1, verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that that testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect. The NIV says mature right there. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Suffering tests our faith and produces steadfastness, endurance, patience that grows us up. Do you really believe what you believe? Well, guess what? When, you, when the heat gets turned up, what we really believe comes out. Who we really are comes out. I used to think that I was pretty, uh, patient, a pretty patient person. Yeah. And then I became a parent. Yeah. And then I thought I was growing as a parent, and then I got a dog. 
<laughs> and all this patience that I thought I had, all this maturity, went out the window. I was like, I got work to do. See, it tests us. Shows us who we really are. First Peter, First uh, Peter one six and seven says, "In this you rejoice, though now for a little while it's necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it by fire, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." He says. Your faith is being tested like gold in a furnace. It's being refined. And guess what? It's going to separate what's pure and what's not. But the end result should be praise, glory, and honor. I don't know the last time you suffered, but did it result in praise and glory and honor? I don't know that my suffering always ends up that way. You have to allow it. You have to be open to it. That's good pain. Suffering that tests our faith. And I won't spend a lot of time here, but Paul is always trying to, not even just Paul, Peter does this too, this connection between sharing in Christ's suffering and future glory. Suffering prepares us for future glory. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, I won't read the whole thing, but it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He calls this life a light momentary affliction. It doesn't feel light and momentary when you're in it, but compared to eternity... It's momentary, it's temporary. So he's always making this connection that those who share in Christ's sufferings will also get to share in his glory. Suffering prepares us for glory. That's, that's good pain. But if we're not careful, and if we suffered long enough without hope, and we lose hope, we fall into despair, all suffering does is create trauma, bitterness, resentment, depression. We stay stuck in whatever pain and suffering we have. It's bad pain. If we avoid the suffering that's meant to grow us up and develop us, we stay stuck where we are. If we refuse to repent, that's bad pain. If we surround ourselves with people who just tell us what we want to hear, instead of telling us the real truth, we stay stuck. Bad pain. Refuse to ask for help because our pride is too great. We stay stuck. It's bad pain. 
repeating generational patterns, bad pain. Anytime we want to grow or heal or make any kind of change, there's going to be some discomfort. There's going to be pain. And regardless of the source of suffering, whether we grow or not, will often depend on how we respond. How do you respond to suffering? Do you complain like I do? Do you shut down? Do you get angry? Do you blame other people? Or do you look to God? Do you call a friend? Do you look for what your resources are? How can I move through this? What, is God trying to show me something? Is this good pain that has a point, or is this bad pain? Am I in the ER, or I'm in, am I in the alley? We have to choose to let suffering have its work, to move through it. Let's look at grief. Suffering and grief are kind of connected. Grief is the complex thoughts and feelings we experience after a loss. This morning I'll be talking about mostly death, bereavement, but you can find grief in many places. After a divorce, a loss of a job, a loss of an opportunity, decline in health, loss of a friendship, but grief is this internal, complex whirlwind of thoughts and feelings that we experience on the inside. And then there's mourning. A lot of counselors, we kind of separate grief from mourning. Grief is internal. Mourning is external. It is the outward expression of grief. See, in the West, grief is kind of a passive process. We don't really actively try to grieve. We, the best we do is we have a funeral. And so for like an hour, hour and a half, three hours if you're black, <laughs> you have the funeral, and then you, you try to just, y'all are laughing, y'all. Y'all have no idea. It's, it's true. <laughs> Jeremiah probably preached some of those funerals. <laughs> it's like, like we're going to catch the resurrection. You keep going. It's been two and a half hours. Or so. But mourning is active. You're, act, you're, you're doing something. And like in the Bible, what do they do? They put on sackcloth and they put ashes on their head. They, they, they had these rituals. In some cultures, they'll light a candle for remembering their ancestors. It's the outward expression. Um, a lot of times when people are stuck in grief, it's because they haven't expressed it. They're just sitting alone with those complex thoughts and feelings, but they, don't, they haven't found a way to, to get it out. They haven't talked to anyone. They haven't. You know, my dad died a couple of years ago, and one of the things that I do to remember my dad, one of my mourning things, is he loved westerns, uh, Clint Eastwood westerns. Um, one of his favorite was the outlaw Josie Wells. And so if I'm missing my dad, I'll sit down, uh, and I'll just watch a Clint Eastwood western, Pale Rider, outlaw Josie Wells, and I'll just watch 
watch Clint Eastwood just blow people all the way for, for two hours. He loved blues music. I'd sit, I'd sit around and listen to some of his favorite blues artists. That's, that's morning. Um, he, lo he loved Pepsi, even though I think Coca-Cola is a far superior drink. <laughs> Every now and then, I will get a Pepsi. And I remember my dad, like my dad, you know, he loved Pepsi. He drank more Pepsi than water, Pepsi and coffee. But mourning is an outward expression, whatever you have, journaling, talking to someone, going to counseling, going to a grief, grief group. So what does grief feel like? Everybody's experience is a little different. I asked my daughter what grief felt like to her, and she says this. She says, I feel sad and I try to get over it, but that takes time. So I think about the memories and all the good times we had. That's, that's how my daughter describes her grief. But not only sadness, grief can be just disbelief. Like, is this real? Did I hear what I just thought I heard? Is this really happening? It could be a numbness where you, I just I don't feel anything. A loneliness. No one, no one understands why I am right now. No one has been here before. It could be depression, which is a loss of vitality, loss of energy and motivation or pleasure. Anger at ourselves, anger at others, anger at the situation, angry at God, anger at the injustice of whatever occurred. Confusion. Like, I don't even know how to make sense of all this. Like my brain is not able to comprehend what is going on right now. Regret, I wish I would've, we never got a chance to, if I only had, I got a couple of regrets as it pertains to my dad. I, my dad liked to gamble and I went to California to do my brother's wedding and where the wedding was, it was a five-hour drive from Vegas. And I was after, do, after the wedding, and it was a long uh, like reception, and it was, I really wanted to take my dad to Vegas, but I was just so dog-tired. I didn't know if I could drive five hours, but I, I wish I had a took him. And another regret I had was B.B. Uh, King came to town, and People who know me close know I hate making plans because I always think that there's going to be something else I want to do, and now I've locked myself in because I'm a man of my word. And, I, and my dad likes blues music, and B.B. King was coming to town, and I wish I had a ticket, and I didn't take him. That's what regret is. It's remorse, which is, I'm sorry. Remorse is acknowledging the harm that we may have done to the person we lost. We feel like we wish we could have done more. But everybody experiences grief a little bit differently. There's no one size fits all. But to get over grief, to work through grief to a place where we can function, because some grief you never really fully get over, you just grow through it, but the pain is still there. 
It requires some things. And I'll, and I'll, say, I'll say this as an aside. There's some grief that's just a little bit more complicated. One of the things I see often in, in my office is caregiver's grief. It's just different when you are the caregiver for the person who, who you lost. You're talking about complex. Because one, caregiving is hard work, and it wears you down, most people. Wears your body down if you're having to lift somebody up. and um, It's hard work. And then when they pass, there's all kinds of, there's relief. I'm glad they're not suffering. There's your relief. My back feels better because I'm not lifting up a 160-pound person. There's relief of, I'm glad I don't have to watch them suffer and decline. There's all these complex things that go around. It's, it's, it's a little different. Losing a child is a little different. So not all, not all grief is the same. Not, we don't experience the same, but we all need some things to work through our grief. And those things are the things we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. We all need grace, an atmosphere of loving kindness. We need truth. It's just an honest reflection of who the person was, what your relationship was, was, was like. One of the things that I see in families is that you know, we become really protective of people who have passed on, even if that person was the most mean and spiteful person on the planet. We don't want to you know, just face the reality that, you know, that our relationship with that person was a little complicated, it wasn't great. Sometimes we just put on some rose-colored glasses and act like they were the best person. Um, you see that at funerals, right? Where they're describing the deceased and everybody's looking around like, are they talking about? That don't sound like the person I know at all. I don't know who. But truth and honest, honest assessment of who that person was in your relationship too. It may require forgiveness. Forgiveness that you can no longer ask for or forgiveness that they can no longer offer. So you may have to forgive them from afar or just realize, accept it, that you will never get to hear them ask for forgiveness or offer forgiveness. There may be some things you need to confess. Some things you need to say out loud to another person. One of the um, counseling techniques that I've used before in, in session, I don't try to use it as, it's really powerful and it, you, never know, <laughs> you never know how it can go, so it's, it's, it's risky, but it's called the empty chair. And where you just set out an empty chair and you have the client talk to the empty chair as if they're the person who they lost. But even that, even though no, it, the, the, it's powerful, just confessing, saying something out loud can help us move through grief. But grief will always, no matter who it is, require these three things. Mourning, which we talked about. Time for you to experience everything that happened and express it. There's a time to mourn, as Ecclesiastes says. In Genesis 50, we see the death of Jacob. And it describes what Joseph did to bury his father. And it says, so Joseph went to bury his father. And with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. 
as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there they went up with him, both chariots and horse, horsemen. So this is a big processional because Joseph's a big wig in Egypt. It was a very great company. And when they came to the threshing floor at Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented. They lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made mourning for his father seven days. He just spent seven days crying out, lamenting. The death of Moses, it says when, when Moses died, they stopped and grieved for 30 days. And most of us, we take an hour and a half, three if you're black, <laughs> and we have a funeral, and that may be the only time that we cry or express our grief. Uh, now, depending on what family you came from, some families do grief better than others. When I'm working with people, I'll ask, well, how does your family express sadness and pain? What do they do? You know, some families, I, well, I don't know what they do. I've never seen anybody cry in my family. You know, they don't, we don't cry. We don't talk about it. We just stuff it down or pass the bourbon. Or, but we don't talk about it. We don't cry. But there has to be time set aside where we feel, we feel the pain and we express it. Write it in a journal. Express it to another person. Watch some Clint Eastwood movies. However the expression may come to you. Ecclesiastes 7. This is my go-to verse for grief. Verse 2 through 4. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. He says, it's better to go to a funeral than a party. That's what he's saying. For this is the end of all mankind. Everybody's got to go. And the living will lay it to heart. There's something about grief and loss that it causes us to look at our own mortality. The psalmist says, the Lord, in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There's something wise about taking a solemn assessment that we got to go to. Then it says, sorrow is better than laughter. And feel like it. I'd rather laugh than cry, but for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Sorrow is better than laughter. By sadness of face, the heart is made glad. You got to feel bad to feel better. And if you don't want to feel bad, we stay stuck. Bad pain. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. Goes back to that. The house. It's wise to grieve, to mourn, to go to, to have funerals, to have ceremonies, to visit a gravesite, to journal, to talk, to share. But it's foolish to try to stuff it down, to try to ignore it. So grief requires, mourning requires some wisdom. Wisdom to know that Hey, there's only one way, and that's through it. I got to go through the pain. There is no way around it. I'm just prolonging it. 
I'm just taking the circuitous route to somewhere I'm going to end up anyway, so I just go through it. We all need mourning. Not only that, we all need hope. Hope, this is a quote from, uh, in your outline, I've included two grief models. If you want to find a more in-depth uh, description of those models, you can just type in what they are. One's by Dr. Alan Wolfelt, and the other one's by uh, Warden. But Alan Wolfelt says this, hope is an expectation of a good that is yet to be. It is an inner knowing that the future holds positive things. In 2 Samuel 12, David has just lost a son. It's the son that was supposed to be born to Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. And God told him, hey, the child's not going to make it. And David is he's praying, he's fasting, he's... He's got sackcloth and ashes, and he's, all of his servants are attending to him, and then the child dies, and they're trying to hide it from him. He, it says that he hears them whispering, and, and he asks, is, is this child dead? They tell him he is. And then he says, well, bring me something to eat. And I was like, bring me something to eat? Why, why are you eating now when you've been fasting and praying and doing all this like this and that? And David says, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me and that the child may live again. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Because I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David had hope of a future of a reunification reuniting with his son, I shall go to him. You can't, you can't grieve, you can't move through grief without some type of hope. The Bible says that Christians don't grieve as people who have no hope. I don't know, look, I don't know what people who, who are not Christian, I don't know how they move through things. It's just like, well, they, uh, my loved one just went into the ether and into the nothingness. That doesn't bring me a lot of hope. But Christians, we have hope of being reunited with our loved ones. We know where they are. And they're happy as they've ever been, as healthy as they've ever, gonna, as they've ever been. No sorrow, no pain. They're doing a lot better than we are. Hope is the expectation of a good that is yet to be. It is the inner knowing that the future holds positive things. And finally, we need other people. David Kessler is a writer who writes and researches grief, and he says, grief demands a witness. Grief demands a witness. It's a team sport. It's not tennis. <laughs> it's not golf. It demands a witness. It's you grieve with and in view of other people. Which brings us to my last ingredient, and that is community. Community. We don't grow outside of relationship. We can't grow in isolation. Community is family, friends, a community of faith. Not everybody has a good family. 
that they feel close to. But if you don't have good family, friends. Not everybody has good friends. You don't have good friends, maybe they're not a good church. Not everybody has a good church. One of the things I hear often in my office, I, need, I, may, I may need to start some kind of church hurt group, but of how churches have let people down because you're supposed to be places of grace and love and acceptance. But we don't always do a good job of that. But God, part of his redemptive plan for a creation was what? Community was started with a family, called out a man named Abraham, said, through you, all the world is going to be blessed. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how they describe him. He set Jesus in a family. I'm going to, be, I'm going to live among you. I'm going to become, I'm going to take on flesh and live among you. Jesus had parents and siblings and Community and relationship, family and friends, those are all part of God's redemptive plan. Jesus is sitting down with the disciples and he asked them, He's like, Who are the poor people saying I am? And well, some say you're John the Baptist have come. Some say you're Elijah. And he asked Peter, well, Who do you say that I am? He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, You're a blessed man, Simon, son of Jonah, because Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father revealed that to you. And on this rock, on your confession, your understanding that I am the son of God, the Messiah, I'll build my church. Church is actually a, a German word that we just, you know, that we just kept in. It might be the only German word in the Bible for the Greek, ecclesia, which means a gathering of the called out ones. God created a community for us to be a part of. He didn't say, on this rock, I'm going to build some rugged individuals. I'm going to build some lone rangers out there, just me and my horse. No. My church, a gathering of called out individuals. See, community helps us guard against isolation. Community helps us recognize blind spots. It offers truth and accountability. There are all these one another passages in the Bible, love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens. Why is that in there? It's because we need community. That's how, that's how we grow. Community is where we can give and receive grace. Where we can find sources of wisdom and truth. Where we can share time and experience with others. Where we can practice confession, forgiveness, and repentance. And it's the only place where we can work through grief and suffering. You can't do it alone. We don't grow outside of relationship. I'll close with this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Blessed be, 
verse 3. Blessed be the God of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And Paul is saying, one, God is the God of all comfort. We receive comfort from God, but receiving comfort allows us to comfort others. Now, I'll tell you, I am not a good comforter. Not because I don't want to be. It's like, aren't you a counselor? Yeah, but I try not to work with people who are really heavy into grieving. Uh, um, I do okay. But even with the level I'm at, I will never be at the level as someone who's really lost a lot. The person who's lost a lot has more comfort to give than I'll ever be able to. Because grief is, grief is the cost of love. It's, it's the price of love. We don't grieve anything or anyone who we didn't love. And there's something different about somebody who has been in an affliction, who has been where you are, when their, their comfort is just different. I can sit with you. I can listen to you. But I can't go there with you. It's some, when my wife um, was diagnosed with, with breast cancer, there were people from this church who came over and sat with her. Louise Glenn, she's been through that battle. She came over. She would check on my wife, sit with her. She could offer a comfort that I couldn't offer. Yeah. And that's my wife. But I hadn't, I hadn't had cancer. I hadn't had to face surgery. So we need relationships. We need community because there's somebody in every community who can sympathize and empathize with what we're going through. And I'll close with the verse we've been working, working from, Ephesians chapter 4. Ending on this idea of community. And I'm going to put a little bit different emphasis on a certain thing. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, the called out ones, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, that's community, until we attain the unity. The unity is part of community of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful seams. Rather, speaking the truth in love to who? If you're by yourself, you don't have anybody to speak, to speak truth to or to love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, this community, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
community. None of the other ingredients I've mentioned, grace, truth, time, forgiveness, confession, repentance, grief or suffering, are possible without community. And so if I could offer you anything, I would say that if you don't have community, if you don't have close people to suffer with you, to comfort you in your mourning, please pray that God will send you those kind of safe and gracious relationships. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you have placed us in your community, your church, your gathering of called out ones. You saw us before eternity. You plucked us out of the pit of hell and adopted us as sons and daughters. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage, give us the grace, the favor and ability to grow this new year, to grow in grace, kindness, to grow in truth. Your word is truth. Give us the courage to confess one to another, the courage to repent and change our direction, and give us community. We can share, we can bear one another's burdens and grow in our knowledge of you and our Savior Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's all stand, please. This has been three great counseling sessions to start this year, hasn't it? Let's give the Lord a, a hand clap. And, and uh, Emmanuel, Kenya, we love and treasure y'all. You are such a blessing. Sandra Jones did a good job bringing this guy up. I hope to see you in two weeks. You'll uh, have to get back to the boring pastor here for a brief series on how to get unstuck. How to get unstuck and move ahead. We look forward to seeing you in two weeks. God bless you. Go with God. He's going with you. Great job, man.